So earlier this year, uh, we began this series that we have entitled uh, The 411 of the Bible. I think most of us are familiar that, that terminology when we talk about what's the 411. It's kind of a, a little bit of a slang term, I guess, that just simply means, hey, what's the deal? Uh, you know, what do I need to know? Um, and so there's a lot of us that know a lot of stories in the Bible, but maybe we're not sure, do I know the story of the Bible? I mean, really, what's it all about? What, where does it start? Where does it end? And so what we're doing throughout this series is taking some themes. And we're not necessarily systematically going uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, or even book by book. But there are some key words that are, are a launch point for us to help us to know from start to finish what is the story of the Bible. Where does it all fit in? What are all these pieces? And, and how does it click? And, and more than just us knowing about it is, is what can it do for me? That how do I get it into my soul, into my life, and help it make a difference for me and the calling that, that we believe that God has for every one of us? So we've been asking you again, maybe on the notes section of your device, or maybe if, again, you're good with paper and pen, but but, but to be writing some of these things down, these big principles, and it'll be a great point for you to study a little bit more in your own personal devotional time as well. What I've done as well, part of this series, is that on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings at 7.30 uh, a.m., I'm doing what we're calling a regroup or a deep dive. So I'm, I'm digging in a little bit more. If you have an opportunity to be with me live on Tuesday and Thursday, I'll post it so anytime after that you can join in. But, but it It'll be a chance for me to kind of flesh out a little bit more, maybe some things that I don't get a chance to cover here in the morning, or a chance for you to ask some questions uh, that we can make that time a little bit more interactive. Uh, again, we don't want this just to be kind of a lecture format today. We want you to be engaged. And again, how does all of this work, Pastor Jim? And so not only today, but on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we want to take that opportunity for us to take a deeper dive and really, as we introduce these themes about what it is. Each one of these themes we recognize uh, help us to know that this is how the gospel is, is hung for us. It's how we understand what, what it's all about and really the foundation of Christianity, what it's built on. And so it's really good if you're here every week, you're going to kind of see a growing and building package for us each and every week week. Now, a few weeks ago, we studied about what the significance of blood is when we read about it in the Bible, especially there's a lot about it that we read so far in the Old Testament. It's why we sing a lot of songs about it. If you grew up in church, a lot you'll hear a lot of songs about, oh, the blood of Jesus or the power in the blood, or, or maybe pastors or churches talk a lot about the blood. And again, maybe for you being new to church or that's kind of a new concept, you're, you're kind of like, man, what, what's the whole idea of, of blood all about? And what we learned a few weeks ago, it's an understanding based around the issue of sacrifice. And so one of the big themes that we talk about early in the Word of God is the whole idea of sacrifice. And the Bible tells us this, that God said that without the shedding of blood for our sins, there can be no forgiveness. That's why it's a pretty big deal, that we know if we're going to get saved, if we know that we're saved from the wrath or the judgment of God, it comes by way of sacrifice. Through the blood, in the Old Testament, it was done by way of going to church, by going to the, the tabernacle and offering sacrifice. In the Old Testament, it was by the blood of animals, knowing that one day it would come by way of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And that's really what the story of the Bible is all about. It helps us to always put our focus and see what it is about what Christ, who he is and what he's done for our life. And one of the primary understandings is that, that man cannot wipe out his own sin. And although we try, right? Uh, we try to bury it, we try to gloss it over, we try to justify it or, or talk about, well, it's not that big of a deal, it's not too bad, but what the Bible teaches us that a blood sacrifice is required, and the fact is, is that you and I aren't good enough to be able to make that happen. It's reserved for God and God alone. And so what's the significance about blood is that it's all about sacrifice, and what does sacrifice mean to us? How is that unveiled to us in the Bible story? Well, in the Old Testament, God had installed a mediator between himself and man. It's when he instituted the priesthood. It's when he instituted that there would be someone that would represent this relationship between 
God and man when sacrifice had to be made, when blood had to be shed. And so I want to take today as, as an opportunity to look at this theme of, about how did that mediation work and what's the significance of the priesthood. I want you to, maybe if you're taking notes, just kind of maybe put this um, in the sideline. When we think about priesthood, it's just the equation is, is that it equals to offer sacrifice. That's what it is to, to be a priest. That, that they were the mediator, again, as we read about in the Old Testament, that offered the sacrifice for God. So what do we need to know? What's the 411 for us today? Well, there was a place where the sacrifice and the sacrifice on behalf of all the people happened. In the Old Testament, it was called a tabernacle. It was basically a portable church. So that's still a pretty big thing today. In fact, when Debbie and I came back to Erie and we were gonna start real life a few years ago, that we talked about Obviously, when congregations are small and, and, and they don't have resources, that, that there are organizations that help, whether we meet at schools or at somebody's house or wherever it is, and the church is portable. You set everything up you know, every Sunday early, and then people stick around and close it up and all those kind of things. And man, God really blessed us because right at the time Debbie and I came back to Erie to set up uh, real life is that this church building became available. So we had all intents to think that we were going to start out as a portable church, but we realized that God had bigger plans for us, which we're continuing to be really grateful about. But in the Old Testament, as part of that journey, so we left Israel like out of Egypt and out of years of slavery and bondage, and then God was leading them to the promised land. And along that journey, God had church for them to go to, a place where sacrifice would be offered, and it was in this portable setup of this church or this tabernacle that represented where God's presence would be. So the tabernacle represented the place of God's presence. And we might see that today as a, a church. We, we know that God's presence is everywhere, but, but we gather together at his church, oftentimes in a, in a particular place. For those of us here today, it's, it's here. And, and we get this instant sense like, yeah, this is where the, where the presence of God abides. Not necessarily in these four walls, but, but in us as we gather together truly as the church. And so I've got a picture of it. Um, there are a lot of renditions, but, but here's one idea of what that portable church looked like. There there was a, a big curtain that separated. In fact, one of the things to know is that the, the tabernacle was always right in the middle of the life of Israel. Somebody say, ah, huh? You get that? So the 12 tribes of Israel, they camped on all four sides of the church. There were tribes to the north, the west, the east, and the south, but the presence of God was always in the middle. And so you'll see that there were some outward things where things could take place kind of in an open courtyard, but there was a, another kind of building inside of the building. And it was known in two phases. It was known as the holy place, and then there was a large veil, a very thick garment, and it separated the holy place from the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And there were some significant... So the closer that you moved in, the more the presence of God was available, was there. Unfortunately, in the Old Testament, that God kept himself away from the people. There, there weren't, like today, we have the Holy Spirit. There wasn't this abiding presence. It was represented through this presence of the tabernacle and expelled through the relationship of the priesthood to help understand what the presence of God was all about. Now, if you've ever gone to court, you'd probably find it necessary to get a lawyer. I mean, if something like major happened to you or you were involved with that, because the courtroom can be a pretty intimidating place. There are a lot of complex rules. We don't often go there enough. And so it's, it's kind of, it sets us off a little bit. And to know that, man, this is a place of judgment I better know what to say, when to say it, what not to say. And so the best thing that we do when we know that there's something big that happens is that we get a lawyer. We get somebody that, that knows how to communicate to the judge, that, that knows the ins and out of the case so that hopefully the judgment, whether it's for or against me, will happen fairly. And that might be a good perspective for us to understand. Certainly in the Old Testament, that's how the tabernacle 
operated. It was the priesthood that helped in this process for people to understand what their life before God was all about, whether the good, the bad, or the ugly. And although there were a lot of priests that helped out in the ceremonial worships or acts of worship, the offerings that they would bring, again, a lot of that stuff that happened in those outer courts, there was only but one priest that could go into those two places that I mentioned to you, the holy place and the holy of holies. Of all of the priests, there was only one who could really get into God's presence, and he was known as the high priest. And he could only go in to the most holy place once a year. And we read about it not only in God's word, but it happens in the Jewish faith to this day. We hear about the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It's still part of our, their calendar system today. That, that God recognized that there was going to be a day every year where this sin issue was going to be dealt with. It was going to be dealt with in the church, in the tabernacle, and it would be orchestrated by the high priest. Now, if you've been with me for these last couple of weeks, one of the things that we're gonna kind of understand through this process from the Old Testament as the Bible story, again, points us towards Christ, is that, I guess we'll say it in church terms or in, in study terms, that, that type, right? A type and anatype is, is that we see these visuals, these word pictures, things that were represented in the Old Testament that were a shadow that were a picture of what the true light was already revealing, what, what was ahead. And so we see a lot of pictures in the Old Testament that are pointing towards something even greater ahead. And so when we trace that one day was going to come, that was going to be the light, but right now in the Old Testament, we just see a shadow of that. And so the shadow is, is that one day the high priest would go before the presence of God and be able to offer a sacrifice, shed blood on behalf of the sins of the people. But what we realize in the Old Testament is, is that that work had to be done year after year after year after year. And there were a lot of things, complicated things, that all had to work in line for all of that to take place. So here's one more thing we need to know about the tabernacle or the holy place is that it was a place of preparation. First of all, it was a place of God's presence, but to get in there, it was a place of preparation. You see, inside that most holy room, going through the veil, there was an article of supreme importance in the life of Israel to this moment. Most of you have all heard about it in one way or the other. It was known as the Ark of the Covenant, all right? If you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, somebody shout out me, yeah, right? If you've seen that, right, then, then you've heard about it, you know about it, but, but maybe that's all you know. Maybe you think it's just something that Hollywood made up, but no, it's part, it's part of the Bible story. It was what literally represented the presence of God to Israel in the Old Testament. It was an article of worship that was placed in the most holy of holies, and it represented a couple of things. It represented God's presence. So when we see some of those pictures, there's kind of like a, uh, like a cloud or a fire that, that kind of rose above that. That was the, the literal understanding of the power and the presence of God for Israel to understand. It also represented his judgment. And like we talked about, just like in that courtroom setting, it was a place where when things were, were not right, it was a place where things were to get right. And so oftentimes that came by way of judgment, but there's more to it. It was also a place of mercy. It was a place that people could look towards to know that when we offer the right sacrifice and that when blood was shed is that it would be a place of mercy. In fact, I'll show you a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. I'm sure that most of you have seen some representation of it, again, whether in the movies or in books or your own study. But between the wings of those cherubims, those angels, there was that place in, in the midst. And it was known as the mercy seat. And, and really, again, in the Old Testament, it was just a picture. It was, just, it was to help our mind conceive this idea that there is a place of God's mercy. There is a place of God's judgment. There is a place of God's presence. That, that, that for 
for the Old Testament, for Israel, it, it was a physical dimension, first of all, because, it, again, it was this concept of a God that stayed relatively reserved from them. And so that's where the priesthood came about, is that God instituted some mediators to help that process for people to recognize all of those phases of God. Now, the priesthood started with this high priest from Moses' brother, Aaron. You'll remember that when God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush, that he was a little put off to be able to do all of that, and he said that he needed help. And so he asked God if his brother Aaron could help him. And so Aaron became a partner with Moses throughout leading the people in this, and God allowed Aaron to be part of what we know as the tribe of the Levites, the priestly tribe. And him and his sons and his followers became the priesthood for Israel. And there were a lot of important things, the preparation that they had to go through, that on that one day that they would go through the veil and to be able to offer the sacrifice before God. I don't know how much I can really give it to you, but it wasn't the fearfulness of God as much as it was the holiness of God that was really the issue with the holy place. So could we say it was a place of fearfulness? Yeah, it's because it was the sense, the pureness of the power and the holiness of God that was represented to the people in that moment. And so the priests to go through that veil and to get into the holy of holies, I mean, you, we don't have time to read. We'll deep dive it um, this Tuesday and Thursday. But the personal preparation that they had to go through because they didn't want to be guilty of stepping in through that veil into this presence of God being unfinished or undone. Now, some of you remember that Isaiah had a moment like this where God spoke to him, where God was going to reveal his prophetic word. And the, when, when Isaiah felt himself like stepping into this presence of God, how many remember what he said? Oh man, I am, a, I am undone. Right? I'm a man full of sin. How is it that I can come into this presence, this power of God? And he wanted to kind of back away from it because there, there really weren't any opportunities for us as mankind to step into the full power and presence of God. And so I'm sure that not only were the people on this day of atonement waiting a little bit with bated breath, like this is the day right, that our sins are going to be accepted or not accepted, I hopefully that this high priest has his act together, hello? Because like this is a big deal. And they waited to see and the priest made sure that every, every part of his preparation was ready to go into the presence of God. Maybe we could take a little side note here and maybe I could just ask you this morning. We've kind of been pretty personal with this journey as well because we're not so much interested in just telling a story. I, I, I'm hoping to help you to understand like, how does that story affect me? You see, we have an opportunity yet even today to go and to be surrounded by the presence of God. And what, what we need to realize is that God's presence is still holy. See, we don't contain God to a tabernacle any longer or really even to a church building. We know that God's desire is, is to live inside of us. And, and the question for you and I is, is not, this isn't a history lesson that we're doing on Sundays. This isn't, you know, like, oh, what, you know, what do I know about some ancient story? No, this is how, to, how does God's story apply to my life? What do I need to know so that I live holy and righteous and honestly and truthful before him? And what we need to know that as much as the priest was in preparation because he was going to face the presence of God, I want you to know you and I deal with that as followers of Jesus. We deal with that every day. We got to realize that he is with us. He's in front of us, behind us, beside us. There's nothing that escapes. When we invite God into our house, right, he's there. And, and sometimes, again, this is why we recognize that man cannot cover his own sin because we've tried that before. Well, we've tried to gloss it over or hide it, but how many know God sees through it all, Right? So part of this is understanding the honesty, the preparation, and what it was. In fact, Aaron had two sons that followed in his dad's footsteps to be priests under the presence of God. Here's what Leviticus chapter 10 says. 
So Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, their articles of worship, and put fire in them and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. And so fire came out from the presence of the Lord, and it consumed them, and they died on the spot before God. You see, what Israel was understanding, that, that God's presence was power. God's presence was holy. You don't mess around with God. You don't mess around with his story. You don't mess around with, with what it is that he says that it will be well with you. And yet, the challenge today is, although that whole scenario is still truthful for you and I today, the truth is that a lot of us play with the things of God. We play with God's holiness We utilize it for our own benefit or what works for us or that we can keep it shaded, but I want you to know that you'll never outrun the holiness of God. And unfortunately, the Bible tells us that one day that that there are going to be people that are going to stand before him and say, but didn't I do this and didn't I do that? And didn't I, of all of the things that that were my works and that I created, and God said, I'm sorry, I don't know you because that was about you. It wasn't about me. You see, and so we have to recognize it's not fearful. Here's the one thing that I do know, that when you are right and you have the the, the story, like court can be like obviously an intimidating place, but when you're good, how many know it's not that scary? Like when, when, when your story trumps the other story, like I got nothing to worry about. Our relationship is not on our own, but when Christ comes into our life, our story changes. Our story changes. Like we have, we have the opportunity to know God in a wonderful, powerful relationship. We don't, we don't fear him. We honor him for who he is. Right? I don't fear being in his presence. I, I'm welcomed into his presence. It's still holy, but I recognize that I'm not undone, but through Christ, it's been finished. Amen? And so the high priest would go before God on behalf of the people on the day of atonement, that was the work. He would go through the veil there before the Ark of the Covenant and he would take a, a branch dipped in the blood. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. And, and he would present that again before the, the mercy seat. Again, that's great analogy of, of words that, that still matter for us today. I'm going to hopefully bypass God's judgment and I'm going to receive his mercy. That's what the blood does. And so there are two, and there are multiple ways, but maybe I could just comprise them into there are two basic ways in which we sin. There is the sin of commission, and there is the sin of, of omission, right? So in fact, we'll deep dive it a little bit. I don't know how long this kind of process lasted in the Old Testament, because the verbiage talks about that when the high priest went in, he began to list out doesn't say that necessarily word for word, but the, the idea is, is, that, is that the priest kind of went down through the list of all of the sins of the people, some several million people of Israel, right, began to go through the sins of the people and offer them before God. Now, I thought just for fun today, maybe to help me just to understand real life, that we would just start with all of your sins and we'd just shout them out one by one. We'll, we'll start here with Adriel and we'll work, we'll work through this row and then come down with Daisy and with Connie and we'll work. Well, I'd just like to know how long it's going to take. Hello? You say, Pastor, I wouldn't take very long. How many? Not too sure about that, huh? Might take a while. I know, we got hot dogs cooking. I know, all right, we'll, we'll bypass that. But it's something for us to talk a little bit more. It says that the high priest went down through the sins of the people to offer them before God. Never really thought about it, but I wonder, man, how long would that have taken? And so we recognize if we can kind of go past the millions of sins, let's just clump them into the sins of commission and the sins of omission. Well, what are those? Well, the sins of omission are those in which we knew we should have done something good but refused. In fact, Paul talked about that 
struggle in Romans chapter 7. He said, was it the things that I shouldn't be doing, I do. And the things that I don't do, those are the things that I should be doing. Right? Realizing there's an internal struggle within us. And so there are things that you know that you should be doing, but you choose or you refuse not to do it. Maybe it's not being in his word. Maybe it's not listening to his voice. Maybe it's not to serve. Again, a variety of things. And you wonder, well, pastor, is it, is it based on things I should be doing or on my relationship? Whatever. Here's what James talks about in the New Testament. James 4, 17 says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Well, let's unpack that a little bit more. You see, most religions frame moral obligations in a very passive way, it, just simply emphasizing the avoidance of evil. We just kind of go through life like, hey, just like that list of do's and don'ts and just like, hey, just watch the line and, and let's just avoid, let's just kind of stay and do our own thing, right? Maybe, maybe the idea will just put some blinders on and just stay in my lane and, and I'll hope not to do anything, I think it's a little bit like, I remember the story that Jesus talked about the Good Samaritan, right? This guy gets beat up, gets thrown um, in, in, uh, to the curb, whatever, and then who shows up? A couple of people, religious people, church people, and they see, right, this guy's messed up, beat up, and what do they do? They purposely what? Walk to the other side of the road. They don't want to get involved. And the power of the story is, is that really an enemy shows up and recognizes, hey, this isn't right. This guy needs help. This guy should have been taken care of. And God's helping us to realize that, that our faith is not passive. Our faith is active. That God wants to know, listen, I've given you the gift of salvation. I've given you the gift of Christ. I've given you to be the hope of the world. What are you doing with that? And we've kind of convinced ourselves that, hey, Pastor, you know, like, hey, that, that's your job or that's the leader's job. Like, I'm, I'm just kind of coasting and staying under the radar. Let me give you a big heads up. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't stay under the radar. You see, because it's the, it's the representation of the presence of God that is abiding and living in us is that we become responsible for that. It's not by way of works, by, not by that at all. It's all through Christ, but, but then we become co-heirs, right? We become partners with God, and so there becomes an obligation on our part to live, right? To see the world as he sees and do something about that. Now, maybe the one that's much more familiar to us is the sin of commission, right? These are sins that we take action to commit, and whether in thought, in word, or deed, and, and to be honest, it can be intentional or unintentional. It doesn't change the fact of the law. Right? I've had a chance to travel a lot of places in the world, a few places, they drive on the wrong side of the road, right? And I've learned that the hard way sometimes. And, and you recognize, like, well, like... I, you know, I'm driving the way I always drive, so I'm going to drive on my side of the road, right? And you get pulled over or whatever, right, by the law or the authorities in those countries. And when you know the excuses, well, like, I didn't know. I'm just kind of doing my own thing. See, they're intentional around it. If you are still driving on the strong side of the road and the police pull you over, you're not going to get out of it just because you said, I didn't know. What are they going to say? It's your responsibility, what? To know. There are laws of this kingdom, that if you're going to go there, you got to abide by them. And so in the same way, there are rules, there are practices of the kingdom. And so whether you know about them or don't know about them, you see, that's what makes this moment, this day of atonement so powerful. That's what caused Israel to wait with bated breath outside the tabernacle, the work of the high priest, because they wonder, did I miss anything? You know, in one sense, it's a hard way to live, isn't it? Like they're trying to put all of their life on this high priest. Hopefully he's right. Hopefully he's good enough to go into God's presence. In fact, the Bible doesn't teach this, but tradition says that sometimes the high priest, they would put kind of a rope around his leg because if he right 
dead in the presence of God. And nobody else could go in to get him or guess what happens? Boom, right? So they would have to pull him out. You see, just wondering, will it be good enough? Me putting my sin, my wrongdoing on someone else that could cleanse or justify my sins. You see, the fear for Israel was is that they, at this point, placed it upon someone just like them. And they waited to see, would God accept that? And here's how it went down. It was by way of sacrifice and a scapegoat. Leviticus chapter 16 says this. Then he, the high priest, he is to take two goats. So we're, we're preparing. We're, we're ready to go behind the veil. We're ready to offer sacrifice for, for the sin of my life this year. And we're waiting to see, is it going to go good for me? Or is it not going to go good for me? And the high priest would take two goats and he would present them before the Lord before he went into the Holy of Holies. And there he is to cast lots for the two goats. One lot is for the Lord and the other is for the scapegoat. So there are two goats. Everybody following me? Yes? Two goats. They cast lots. One is going to go towards sacrifice. One is going to go towards the scapegoats. We hear that term even today. Aaron shall bring the goat whose loss falls on the Lord, and he will sacrifice him as the sin offering. So it would be the blood of that animal that then would go on the hyssop branch, and that the high priest, if all is well, will go into the holy place through the veil, and he will sprinkle the blood on that inner part of the Ark of the Covenant known as what? The mercy seat that it would bypass the judgment of God. If he got that far, so far, all is good. And then he would represent, by the shedding of blood, the forgiveness of sin. But here's something that you and I need to know. Not only can sin be forgiven, but sin has to be dealt with. Payment has to be made, and that was the second goat. The Bible calls it the scapegoat. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness. He is to lay hands, both hands, on the head of that goat and confess over all of the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all of their sins. Again, here's that part. So picture it. Here's the high priest. He got his hands on top of the animal, and he has to pronounce all of the sins of Israel. How long is that going to take? Because sin had to be dealt with. Not just forgiven, but dealt with. You see, here's what we have to understand. If, if your neighbor, right, his car, like, rolls out of his driveway and smashes into your car that you had parked out on the street. Like, what, like, what's the deal? Now, if your neighbor came out and said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I am so, so sorry. That old car, that beater out there, I knew the, you know, that sometimes the emergency brake, it, it just doesn't hold, whatever. Man, I am sorry about that. And he just turns and walks and goes right back into his house. How many of you are like, whoa, ho, ho, hold on. Hey, I appreciate, I appreciate the sentiment, but what's wrong? What's wrong? You still have a vehicle that's damaged that needs to get fixed. You see, this is the second animal. See, God can forgive, but there has to be action on the forgiveness. There has to be that which was wrong to be made right, to be made whole. Our expectation is, is that we're going to call Ray, and we're going to take it down to Benel. Plug! And we're going to get what was damaged restored. Again, I want you to just keep in your mind about the light and the shadow. About what's happening in the Old Testament tabernacle that was a shadow of what is to come and how that gets handled for you and I. You see, because without Christ, we're broken. And although we can be forgiven, 
we're still damaged. And so that's why we continue to allow Christ to come into our life and work and to restore us and to redeem us. We can't do that. You've tried to do it on your own. How far does that get us? It might get us a few days, a few weeks, a few months, but it doesn't last. You see, you need help. I need help. And so Christ, in this picture of the Old Testament, here's the theme that now becomes reality. So again, where we left it at, it was this human priest laying his hands on the goat, confessing his sin, and sending it away as a scapegoat. You see, what we need to understand is that Christ is not a scapegoat in the story. See, sometimes when we think about the scapegoat, is like we just kind of pull somebody at random and like, hey, sorry, like you drew the short straw, like it's on you, you're going to have to deal with it. God did not go to Jesus one day and say, hey, I know you're not going to like what I have to tell you, right? But there's some things I have to work out and you're going to have to go do this. No, you see, Jesus is part of the Godhead. You see, Jesus knew that we were broken. That although that we could receive forgiveness, but the damage of sin is still horrific in our life. And so not only this sacrifice, but this one who would pay the cost to make us right. And Jesus wasn't an innocent bystander. He became our Savior. And so he is our sacrifice, but he is also now the high priest. Matthew chapter 27. When abandoned by the Father on the cross, Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, and he gave up his spirit. At that moment, again, hopefully you have stayed with me today. At that moment when Jesus died upon the cross and he cried out, Tetelestai, it is finished. The Bible tells us that at that very moment, now not only was the church no longer portable as it was in Moses, but they built a brick and a, a stone and a, and a large temple in Jerusalem, much like, again, what we would have today, a place that people could go to, one that they didn't have to pack up every weekend and then reset it up. It was the place where sacrifices were brought. It was still now a holy place and a most holy place where there was still a priest that would go in in Jerusalem and offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. But the day that Jesus died and the day that he cried out, that it is finished, the Bible says that at that very moment, that veil that happened way back with Moses that was now represented in the New Testament tabernacle, the veil was ripped in two, listen, from the top to the bottom. Now, Bible tells us that that curtain could have been almost 40 feet tall and could have weighed over a thousand pounds, this heavy material that again represented this separation between God and man. So Christ not only became our sacrifice when he died, but in that moment that he blew open the veil that separated us from him and now pronounced himself as the great high priest of us all. And so in that one action, he demolished the work of the priesthood when he established himself as our great high priest. You see, what that allowed for you and I is to have access with God through Christ. You see, up until that moment, nobody ever dared step through the veil. But what the Bible teaches us, what history says to us, is that the veil no longer exists. Now we have access. You see, sacrifice brought access. That's why Christ came. That's why we can't do it on our own, that we needed him. The Bible says that not only was the veil split in two, but the earth shook and rocks split open. In fact, you'll remember the centurion guard that they had placed alongside of the cross. After all of this had happened, the earth went dark. It shuddered, it tremored. The church was blown apart. And it was the Roman centurion that declared the first, truly he was the son of God. Everything that he said was true. 
I know it in my spirit. I recognize now who he is. Hebrews chapter 4 and 7 go on that not only was Jesus our sacrifice with his death on the cross, but he becomes our high priest. Therefore, the Bible says, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly now to this faith in which we possess. What does it simply mean? It means I believe that there's only one way, and it's through Jesus and him alone. What that means is that I believe that there is no separation between me and God because of Jesus Christ. What that means to me is I need nobody ever to get to God because I have Christ in my life. Man, if this was a real spirit-filled church, there'd probably be some people saying, "Woo!" Yeah? To recognize that through Christ, I have access. I have. So again, let's go back to the courtroom. You see, I don't need a lawyer. I don't have to fear the judgment of the judge because it is well with my soul. I recognize I stand before God redeemed, forgiven, my sins through Christ. He was not a scapegoat. He was not some willing, unwilling bystander. He paid the price that God demanded and only him and him alone. And now he invites me to join him, to know that my sins can be forgiven and that I can receive access to the throne of God. So the truth is, is that Jesus ended the earthly priesthood. There is no need for the priest. There is no need for a mediator anymore because of Christ. The Bible goes on to say, we do not have a high priest who was unable to empathize with our weaknesses. So then let us approach God's Throne of grace, what? With confidence. With confidence. So that we know we will receive mercy and find grace through the power of Jesus Christ. You see, so, so we still understand this holiness of God. Like we don't just, are, we're not flippant with the things of God. I had a chance to ride with a couple of EPD guys last night. And there was a shoplifting episode that we got called to. And there were some people that stole from a local establishment here. And when we got there, there was, there was some internal security that already had them pulled over. And they, you know, they were shaking their heads. And they said, we pulled them in. They stole hundreds of dollars of stuff from us. And they were like clapping and cheering. Like, like they had no whether feeling of remorse or of, of, of wrong, of whatever. It's just like, we did it. Like, who cares? Like, what's, what's the big deal about all of that? Like, there was no fear of, of judgment. And I want to challenge you here today that although God is a God of love, we also realize that God's presence is holy and that we are not flippant with the things of God, about who he is, about his church, about his people, about his mission. Like, we should walk in a holy sense of of, 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 of fear, right, of, of righteousness, of holiness, when we gather together as the people of God, that when we worship, like our attention and focus needs to be on him. It's not who's beside us. It's not who hit a note or didn't hit a note. It's not about this or that. It's that am I feeling myself to be grateful, to stand in the presence of a holy God. And here's the point, dear friends. Am I being changed Am I being changed in the presence of a holy God? Listen, I love you to be here today, but if you think that like my, my whole deal is like I just love to speak to a crowd, no, that's the furthest thing. See, I feel humbled and honored that I want to be speaking to people that desire to be followers of Jesus, not just hearers, uh, but doers of the word. And maybe not all of you are there right now, and that's great. I'm glad that you were here. But, but what my hope is is that you are staying engaged because what you are hearing in this place, what you are hearing is I divide God's words. Is there is something more here for you. You were designed with a purpose. There is a hope for you. There is something that's not only going to change your life, but think about your home. Think about your kids. Think about your future. Listen, there's going to be a turnaround that's going to happen because somebody went through the veil and you opened yourself up to the power and presence 
presence of God. You didn't know it all at the moment, but it's gonna be grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. You see, the best, the best is yet to come for you. So stick close, stick close to Jesus. So what do we do now, Pastor Jim? Where is it? Like if we don't need the high priest, if we don't need the priesthood, maybe Adriel, the guy, you can come and help me. So we recognize today, and it's, it's, it's a little more than semantics, and I know that you know, maybe a lot of you growing up in Erie, you grew up in a church or whatever where a lot of these terms were familiar, and I might be rocking your world or rocking your boat a little bit right now, so just hang on with me. You see, the idea is that, that my role is, is to help coach or to shepherd you. You see, there is, there is only one high priest, and that's Jesus. And here's the truth. I mean, you only need me to help to guide you when, when it's needed. Everything you need in this life is through Jesus Christ and him alone. That's it. My role is simply to help coach you. I might wear the label of pastor or leader or whatever, but really I'm here to help coach you on your journey. In fact, tonight in Las Vegas, there's going to be those two teams. They all have, what, one head coach. But how many know, quick little research, there's anywhere from 12 to 15 other coaches that help what? Get the players ready to do their deal. So I want you to keep that in mind, maybe while you're watching the game tonight, is that that Jesus, he is the head coach. And God's enabled you to have some coaches in your life to help you play this game of following him or to help instruct you and to guide you and, and the things that aren't going right in your life that we want to help tweak that again according to the playbook according to the word of God to help you to get across the line of faith you see the only purpose today is to take that ball and get it across the line that's when we celebrate when the ball gets across the line see if we can kind of blow that up in this context is, is that you see my joy is that you get what I'm saying and that your life gets trans. Anything that I did, it's all based on what Christ has already done for you. I just have the wonderful opportunity, kind of like the lawyer in the courtroom, is just to help guide you in some of those points of life where you're not really sure what to do. You've got a shepherd, you've got a coach, you've got a pastor. It's just gonna help you to follow in what God has already done for you. And so it's my hope is, is that every one of you are going to cross the line of faith. My prayer is, my, what I do is to believe that one day that you're going to walk into the halls of heaven. That you're going to be able to put your trust, not in any man, but you're going to put your trust in the great high priest, Jesus Christ. That you're going to confess him, that he's your Lord, he's your Savior, and that you've had some wonderful people to help you in that opportunity. I'll finish with this and I'm gonna pray over you today. You see, we have an opportunity, each and every one of us, not only to get right, to be ready in our own life, but we also have a responsibility to help other people cross the line. God's called us to be ambassadors, to get other people onto the team. And we do that by hopefully living a life worthy of the calling of God and realizing that our role is to let the good news that Jesus died for us all. Here's the amazing news, is that in the Old Testament, again, we don't know how long it took, but the high priest confessed every sin of the people on that animal and sent it away. Sometimes I hear people say, Pastor, I'm, I'm too bad, man. I've, done, I've just done way too many bad things. And God could never forgive me. Like I've ruined it. You, you, if you knew my story, if you knew the struggles that I have, and here's what I know. If the high priest in the Old Testament 
was able to cast all of the sins, all, everybody say all, all of the sins of the people and watch it leave and never return, then I believe with all of my heart, there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing that will ever stop you from knowing God's saving grace, his love over your life. The power of God. It was a goat or it was a lamb in the Old Testament. But one day Jesus showed up and John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen, I want to pray with you today. I feel that from God today that you, maybe today, will accept his sacrifice for your sin. That today, maybe you've never asked Christ to come into your life. You've never realized that blood had to be shed. That what Jesus did was not just a story in the Bible. It is the story of the Bible. What was a shadow right now in Leviticus, the light was Christ. The real story was coming that you and I have the opportunity to understand. And what happens when we give our life to Christ? We get access to the holy place. The veil gets torn, and now we get to enter in. So for some of you that think, man, I, I don't know, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm good enough, can I tell you, God's still greater. Jesus' blood is still more powerful, still overwhelms. I don't know, it might work for everybody else, Pastor Jim, I don't know if it works for you. His blood still covers your life. I want to pray over you today before we finish today. Maybe in your heart, you say, man, that's what I want, what Pastor Jim's talking about. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. Listen, we're not asking you to be perfect, right? We're just asking you today to realize that you need Jesus to cross the line. You need to understand that as good as you are, you're not good enough to cross the line on your own. In fact, even the earthly priesthood wasn't good enough because they had to do it year after year after year after year. But once Christ came, how many are glad? It's all done. It's all done. Today I have access, so let us boldly, amen? Let us boldly come to the throne of grace. Bow your heads with me, let's pray. Father, I thank you today that we understand the power, the real power of your word. We thank you that these pictures that we get of what was happening in Israel one day was was one day gonna shine the light on what you were gonna do for us once and for all, and that was allowing Christ to come to not only be our sacrifice, but for him to be our priest. For him to know that it's through him that now we gain access to God. That we have some coaches and we have some friends and helpers, but we recognize that my life is being contained, being held by the power of Jesus Christ, that you become my hope, you become my all in all. So God, I thank you for helping us to understand more of your truth, your word into our life. And I pray for those that maybe are, are coming to that point of crossing the line. It's simply by making a very easy confession to say, God, I, man, I hear what your word is saying and I want to accept that today. I want Jesus to come into my life. It's just that easy, friends. Let this journey begin. Listen, there's more to it, but I want you to know you're part of the church. You're part of the family. You're on the team. And so we're going to help you to figure that all out. But today, you and God can have that moment to say, this is what I need. This is what I want. So God, I pray over those in this room today that are, that are making that decision, wanting to make that decision, wanting to know the power of the truth of the gospel is being made available to them today. So God, we pray your blessing on all our lives. Jesus, we thank you for being our high priest. We thank you for being our way to know joy in this life and joy forevermore. So God, we pray that in Jesus' name.